You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden, the founder of BrewHoop.com. And Frank, both of us uh, just got done watching the national championship. Both of us are avid college basketball watchers. Uh, so uh, we figured we'd just break that down tonight instead of... No, I'm just playing. Um, Frank and I don't know a whole lot about college basketball, um, but... Uh, it also ended up not being a great game. Villanova kind of killed him. So I, I don't want to say a night wasted, but I, I don't know. It worked out well for me because I was uh, I was out. Uh, I'm traveling for work, and uh, I was out watching the game with some coworkers. And really, I'm tired. I got up super early to to drive up to Dallas, and uh, I was just like, you know what? I I, I hope that uh, one of these teams, <laughs> Villanova. Uh, <laughs> Just opens up a huge lead so we can leave early, and, and that's exactly what happened. So I didn't even watch the last six minutes of the game. Good on and, you. Uh, it appears I did not miss much, and uh, I normally really enjoy championship celebrations. Like I just, I just enjoy seeing how different teams react to winning championships. Mm-hmm. So I missed that. So that's the one thing I missed. Um, but obviously, nothing. You knew that nothing tonight was going to compare to a couple years ago when they won the championship on that last second shot. So. Um, Shout out to uh, to Villanova. Who Villanova is just one of those teams that's like very unoffensive, even though they've become like dominant. It's like they never have like awesome players. I mean, they obviously have good players, but they never have like the one and done superstar type guys, uh, except Tim Thomas, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, like like it's just sort of like somebody Villanova. Like somebody I've never said met. That... I've never met anyone who went to Villanova. I have no like I have no reason <sighs> to hate Villanova. Like they were never. You know they're not like Kentucky, Kansas, like one of those schools where they're just like so good and so good at recruiting that you kind of like have a reason to hate them. So they're just like, oh wow, they're just an awesome college basketball team. That's funny that you mentioned that because I honestly can't think of anyone I know that went to Villanova. Yeah, and I, I don't even and I don't even know anyone that cheers for Villanova. Like I don't have yeah. a friend that's a Villanova fan, and like I feel like I have some sort of friends that have a connection to like every school and no, I don't have one for Villanova. That's kind of wild. Um, and I, I mean, I follow like a lot of like, you know, Philly sports fans on Twitter and I haven't noticed any of them even cheering for Villanova. Yeah. Like the Sixers Twitter. And I guess it's just one of those things. Like there's so many colleges in Philly and it's a private school. And so I, I don't know, I guess it's just one of those things like Villanova just sort of, flies under the radar like nobody really has opinions of them i guess yeah. and i'm sure maybe some people now who do have opinions of them will will come at us because they're i guess you know what i'd love to see that because I, I don't I, believe those people exist yeah i guess if you're like a they are still in the big east right is villanova in the big east yeah um 
because like I know the Big East now is like totally different than when I was growing up what the Big East was but uh, I mean I guess maybe there could be some like Big East rivalry with Marquette or something so maybe Marquette fans hate them but um, Wisconsin knocked them out of, like yeah. was, was it last year or, yeah, or whatever year. it was so Wisconsin can't hate them either man no uh, you know Whatever. So. I don't. I don't think anyone can. Uh, you mentioned the fact that they never have like one and done. Someone on Twitter mentioned like Jay Wright is doing an awesome job getting guys ranked like twenty five through fifty, just and, so they don't leave. <laughs> like if you don't get anyone too good, like they they don't leave and they stick around. Even have all stars. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's kind of kind of funny to think about. Um, speaking of Jay Wright, someone I I would say someone multiple people have been in my mentions tonight asking if uh, Jay Wright is. Uh, a, a suitable candidate to become the next coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, and I will largely hit you with a shruggy emoji and tell you, oh, um, maybe, maybe that would work. But I do think with him, this would not be the first time NBA teams have come calling. Uh, Villanova uh, pays him quite well, and I think you'd probably one have to convince him that the money's good enough for him. Um, also, this isn't a young coach. Like this isn't this isn't Brad Stevens uh, making his way up. Like Jay Wright has been around for a while, uh, so I, I don't know if uh, if at this point in his career that's a move that he's ready to make. Just because he's turned it down so many times, so I will I will largely uh, kind of defer and say I, I don't know. I don't know if he would be a good coach. I'm sure we can look into it. Um, I know generally. He likes smaller teams, like he likes to play small, normally four out, one in, um, and that kind of got him made fun of for a while, like because his teams would keep winning a bunch of games in the regular season and then not ultimately find tournament success, but they've done that in the last little while. So maybe a little bit ahead of his time, I don't, I don't really know, but I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm super bullish on Jay Wright's uh, prospects as the next Bucks coach, but I also don't know if I'd be all that opposed. I feel like... I and again, being someone who only casually follows college, I feel like Villanova. When I hear think of teams that have played three guard lineups, I feel like Villanova is one of those teams that you've heard play a lot of three guard lineups. Even though they're not like some tiny school, I feel like you know the the schools that just don't have any physical, you know, talents, any big guys, you know, often have to go really small. But um, but yeah, it's interesting. And you know, I was just looking. I was kind of curious because the thing that that I always kind of struggle with with college coaches is just like. You know what is what they do in college really going to work? And, and we, I know we talked about Tony Bennett and you know his pack line defense. And all right, that works in college. And uh, is that going to work in the pros? Like, is the fact that like those often that he plays this slug it out style of of offense and well both both ways really? Um, how is that going to translate? Yeah. Like his teams don't shoot a lot of threes in college. Um, but I will say this, Jay Wright, and again, I'm super super wary of of any college coach just because for every brad stevens there's like an infinite number of everybody else who's ever come out of college who i feel like has yep. been way under underachieving or or at least just you know i mean rick patino was exhibit a, once yeah. a, an nba coach john calipari once an nba coach like yeah. it didn't work yeah and I think the value of uh the thing that you know just sort of at a really high level at least with Wright, you can say 
he doesn't recruit the superstars, right? I mean, he doesn't get the one and dones with uh, uh, is Tim Thomas, maybe the only one done he ever had, or sorry, not he, but, but Villanova ever had in those before his time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And just kind of looking at like, well, well, you know, how does, how do these Villanova teams play? I mean, you saw them set that final four record with what, 18 threes the other day. And to me, when I see that, I think, you know what? That's what a smart like. If you're talking about like a a what would a great X's and O's or just sort of like, you know, just smart basketball mind do in college basketball, they would shoot a crap ton of threes. You know, like <laughs> yeah. the line is the line is short. You know, you, if you can't you know get the best athletes, if you can't get the top ten recruits, all the one and dones, go find guys who have skill who can shoot threes. And um, I mean, they have certainly some athletes on that team as well in, at Villanova, but. Um, you know, it was interesting just sort of reading about like their principles and, um, you know, I, I found a website that breaks down the four out one in motion offense that, um, is supposedly similar to the way the Golden State Warriors play, right? Which again, easy to say, oh yeah, play like the Warriors when, you know, <laughs> okay, yeah, you don't have the two greatest shooters in NBA history that kind of make that offense go. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting here, a small ball offense, you know, relying on, on threes and spacing, moving the ball. Um, that's interesting. Like you said, lots of play small lineups. Uh, all of us have been clamoring for a way to figure out Giannis at center lineups. Um, Jay Wright would probably be a guy who would be interested in unlocking that as well. Yeah. Um, but again, it's so hard to say because, again, there's such an apples and oranges aspect to, to college versus pro uh, coaching. And um, again, like you like the fact, though, that he's a guy who seems to win because of the way he coaches and his tactics, not because he just, you know, runs out and, and recruits the best players because that's obviously the one thing that, you know, doesn't really carry over to to the, the NBA level. So anyway, yeah, I, I don't have a strong opinion, but certainly Jay Wright would um, probably be the least offensive college coach, I think, that you can think of um, for, for an NBA job. And you know, as you said, a couple years ago, turned on the Suns uh, job uh, after their first championship. So um, who knows? We'll see if he's uh, if he's a name that that gets thrown around. By the way, did we ever say that? I forget who reported it, but somebody confirmed that Rick Pitino was it Mark Stein? Was, it was Mark Stein reporting that that Rick Pitino's camp had reached out to the Bucks <laughs> and not the other way around. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for clarifying. Can I tell you how much I love that report? I adored it. I wanted to frame it and put it on my wall because it is so. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I believe he tweeted that out on Friday, I want to say. Um, but yeah, um, he, uh, he reached out about it. Not, uh, the Bucks did not reach out to him. That was, that was pretty funny stuff. Um, other things I didn't get to mention last night, because uh, we hopped right into the game. Enrique Ungumbo Wale from Milwaukee hitting two of the craziest buzzer beaters of all time. Um, in back-to-back games, the national semifinal and then the national championship on the women's side, that was awesome. And it was cool. And I should have mentioned it last night, and I didn't. So on the other side, the women's side of the national championship, Milwaukee in the house, just making insane shots. So if you haven't seen those, go check them out. They're awesome. The, ar- the arc she got on that shot I, to win it was, the national championship was insane. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. I, I, I don't I even think I, she saw the rim. Like, yeah, no. I, it was... It was unbelievable. So, um, Arike Ugumbawale, shout out to She's you. A, is, is she in any way related to a uh, former Badger running back? She is sister. I was going to say, there can't be that many Ugumbawales co- in the state of Wisconsin. And cousin of Diamond Stone. Interesting. Yeah. 
So they yes. used to have some pick up games, man. Um, so just just wanted to give the shout out there uh, because I might have found the women's final four more interesting than oh, the yeah. men's final four. Shout just out saying. to the lady ballers out there, yeah. Yeah, they killed it. So uh, we were talking about kind of what we want to talk about today and just kind of wanted to go through some of the other news stories that we might have missed. Um, you mentioned one of them with Mark Stein reporting that on Friday. Um, we also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, at the end of the week, Howard Beck from Bleacher Report uh, had put out and published his story with Jason Kidd first time that Jason Kidd had done um, an interview with really anyone since being fired um, other than the the things that he told Ramona Shelburne that she decided to share at Jason Kidd's behest um, about Giannis being devastated. Um, other than that, we haven't heard from Jason Kidd since he was fired. Uh, so that was kind of—I I thought that was kind of interesting. And then when I saw the story came out, I saw that the "what up Beck" signal had been sent by Zach Lowe earlier in the day, and I was kind of hoping. Man, I hope that's exactly why Zach had Howard on the podcast, and it was. Uh, so you got a little low post action, probably about, I think it ended up being like 20, 30 minutes of them talking about his article with Jason Kidd and kind of all the stuff that went down and how it, how their conversation went down and what happened, et cetera, et cetera. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and find that um, over at ESPN, find the low post podcast, find Howard Beck's story at Bleacher Report. Um, and I know a, a bunch of Bucks fans kind of had the reaction when I tweeted it out, like, why do I care about this? Like Jason kids just trying to like rewrite what happened and get himself another NBA job. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously that, yeah, that, that would be his goal, um, in having an article written about him. So like, if you, if you're totally turned off by that idea, that's fine. And if you're too angry to think about Jason kid, that's fine too. You don't need to read it. Um, but I, I did think it was interesting because, um, I think any any concerns you might have had about Jason Kidd, any thoughts you might have had about Jason Kidd being too stubborn and not willing to change, I mean, I I feel like he confirmed in the article. Like, I would yeah. have I would have thought someone who, um, and it was funny listening to Howard talk to Zach because uh, Zach was like, "Do you know Jason? Like, how's that working?" He said, "Like, well, no, like we don't like we've crossed paths before, but we don't really like know each other that well." And he was like, "So I couldn't really like go into his his home and be like, so uh, the team quit on you and a bunch of your players hated you at the end. Like, I couldn't go in and say that, um, but it was funny that that's kind of what Howard had heard. And obviously for us here doing this podcast, like obviously uh, we had heard a bunch of that and talked about a bunch of those things when Jason was fired. And it, it was it was just kind of funny to see Jason kind of double down on all of the things that you think an interview where you're trying to kind of grab some goodwill, make sure like people are still thinking about you for jobs. Cause there's going to be eight to 10 of them. I don't know. There's going to be a good number of them open uh, this off season. Like it just seemed like he was totally unapologetic about the way that he was and about the way that he pushes people and that uh, like the way that he acts. And I, I was just, reading it i expected a very different tone like a very different like oh you know i've learned a lot things could change i I think i've learned how to do these things better and instead it was just like no i think i did a pretty good job like 
okay. That I don't know if that is the strategy I would take, but that it seemed like, I, at least in my reading, maybe you felt differently. That was what I got out of Jason Kidd in that interview. Yeah, I mean, I I was worried when uh, when I first saw people angrily sort of <laughs> reacting to the to the post. I was like, oh god, is this going to be like, you know, the um, you know, a sympathetic reading of Jason Kidd's time in Milwaukee because that's how you get access is you give yeah. people sympathetic readings, and you know, it let Jason Kidd sort of say what he wanted to say, but then I, I was at least happy that it. Um, also just like was peppered with you know sources in Milwaukee and then just like ripping him to shreds and you know complaining about him and there was some you know stuff about Giannis you know I forget the exact phrase that was used but basically that you know Giannis also like his personality wore on Giannis as well and you know obviously the he didn't appreciate the airing of the um the personal conversation stuff um so yeah I mean Look, I, I mean, I, I get a lot of people are, are you know, have Jason Kidd fatigue um, and they're, you know, a lot of Bucks fans will happily just never hear from Jason Kidd again. Um, but, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, I guess, it, I mean, it shed a little bit of light. It was probably more interesting for Nets fans because I thought there was some interesting stuff there about Kidd's time uh, in Brooklyn and um, the lack of relationship with Darren Williams, which, you know, again, I think, you know, Beck also drew out sort of the, the theme of of kid sort of souring quickly on especially his point guards, um, <laughs> which he didn't really talk about it that much with the Bucks, but obviously that was a recurring theme, whether it was Brandon Knight or, or Michael Carter Williams. I mean, again, and not not unjustifiably so, uh, but uh, but yeah, it was you know it was illuminating. I don't think it was overly sy- sympathetic. Probably the you know thing that you know Bucks fans, especially you know um let's just say our our demographic of bucks fans would probably bristle at the most was the you know sort of common character you know sort of characterization of of uh and and again forget the exact word he used but you know basically giving kid credit for Giannis developing and you know sort of like the young bucks kind of developing um uh, you know the young players developing under kids tutelage i believe kids tutelage that phrase was used which again um who knows right like uh i don't know if there's anything harder to sort of parse than like development and who gets credit for development and how good would a guy have been you know regardless um but you know whatever you can't deny yes while jason kidd was here Giannis became a great player um and you know certainly you hope that he continues to reach new heights without Jason Kidd. And again, I, I have no concerns about him not being able to get better without Jason Kidd because um, I think he probably got about as, as far as he could under Kidd and Sean Sweeney and, and company. So anyway. I, will, I will say there is not a conversation I hate less because there's literally no way to prove anything. Yeah. Like it's just like well, if Jason Kidd didn't do this, he could have done this. Or on the opposite side, since Jason Kidd did this, Giannis was able to do this. Like, 
maybe no there's literally no way to prove it so both sides can just kind of argue (laughs) whatever they want which i think near the end of kids tenure that's kind of what everyone ended up doing right like if if you were one of the the rare people that was still arguing uh for the jason kidd side of things it was it was mostly around that right like the player development and all the help that he had gave to them so um i would say if if you're annoyed by the article, I think you would be delighted by the low post um, because I think Howard was allowed to speak a little bit more, uh, a little bit more honestly and a little bit more frankly, if that makes any sense. Um, and uh, I just thought there was some good stuff in there, like oh. like especially the souring on people guys uh kind of idea where he he I think Howard or maybe it was Zach one of the two brought up the Mirza Toledovich example where it was like yeah it it happens all the like it's happened a lot with Jason where he soured on people and it happened like for example with Mirza Toledovich where he they Jason said, I want Mirza Toledovich. Everyone in the organization told him, you're going to sour on him immediately because he doesn't play defense. And he said, no, that won't be a problem. He'll be fine. And let's go sign him. And then that's exactly what happened. And it was like, okay, yep, that makes sense with what happened with Mirza. Like, because I think all of us were were pretty excited, right? Like going into it, like a guy that had a three-point rate at about, I think the year before it was at clay thompson steph curry level like he was shooting the three that much and then you're expecting that and you know the ability to look the other way uh defensively when he struggles with it and that's just not at all what happens so i would say listen to the pod with with zach because that might help make you a little bit less angry if you read it and and were angry um Uh, although um, although there was a part where zach said that maybe Jason Kidd could be a good coach. So I'm sure that would make a lot of Bucks fans slip out. But um, anyway, who cares? Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't uh, really mind it. Like, I'm sure, like, we've had enough reporters at this point say that, that, yeah. Like, I guess the the other thing I would say is we've seen shitty coaches get hired multiple times, right? Like, yeah. That, just because NBA people might think like, oh, there's a chance he could, this person could be a good coach. Like, well, they there's been a lot of bad coaches that have gotten multiple jobs, so they've been wrong before. So, like the idea that they're saying it about Jason Kidd, yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if NBA people are saying that about Jason Kidd. Do I trust NBA people? Not necessarily. Um, so that that one, like, I get why people be mad just because of what they saw with Kid and his time in Milwaukee. But like, I don't doubt that. Like, I'm sure it happens. All right, I'm I'm done with Jason Kid. I could I could like literally hear your blood pressure rising as we had that conversation, um, <laughs> which is feels like an impossibility. But I'm pretty sure I could hear it. Um, so <laughs> let's go with uh, the one other thing from after the Nuggets game. Uh, obviously, the Bucks blow that one. Speaking of blood pressure rising. <laughs> uh, in that game, uh, after the game, uh, Jabari Parker, who had scored 35 points in that game, uh, I think played a season-high minutes as well. I'm trying to remember exactly. Must have. 39, he played yeah, 39 minutes, yeah, so it must have been. Overtime. Yeah. Uh, so he plays season-high in minutes, scores a season-high in points. Um, and then after the game, he uh, had talked with Matt Velasquez. And it's interesting 
watching the actual interview, um, which the I believe the Bucks posted on their Twitter account. If you actually want to watch his post game interview, the question Matt asked was. I mean, relatively innocuous. Like it, I think he just asked something about kind of what was behind his, uh, like the strong performance and having a good night, like what allowed you to do it or some, something of that nature, like nothing controversial at all. And Jabari said, I think I was getting good looks. What helps is that my teammates help me out there and they can just, they constantly just try to keep me engaged. It's not fun just coming off the bench and playing spot minutes, but I thank them for staying with me. And hearing that, one, I will preface every Jabari quote with the, with this statement. I don't necessarily know that you can trust a Jabari quote because sometimes things just come out of his mouth and it, it maybe doesn't mean what you think it means or he, he just says things weird sometimes. So um, I, I would first preface it with that. But then second, I mean, it's it was interesting to hear from just a, a kind of nothing conversation to then hear him say that you know it's not fun just coming off the bench. And I, I guess none of none of that quote surprises me. Like I'm sure he doesn't love coming off the bench and playing spot minutes. Um, and I'm I'm sure that that could be a a spot where he would be upset about it or feel that he's ready for more and angry that he's not getting it so i don't know that it necessarily surprised me yeah i mean the thing that tells me the most about um jabari parker's future in milwaukee is not jabari parker talking about the fact that he is has been exclusively a bench player it's the actual fact that jabari parker has only been a bench player tells me i think more than anything that jabari can even say right um because again if Jabari Parker's best fit here is is as a bench player, and I think there's a pretty good argument that that that's the case, right? I mean, if yeah. if you're going forward with Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Eric Bledsoe, um, three guys who are all effective, you know, efficient scorers, who you know, again, I think we can obviously question how much they sort of make one another better, but the irony, you know, I mean, the Bucks are as we record this seventh in the NBA and offensive rating per NBA.com, um, you know, this is sort of the funny part, right? Like they don't really make each other better. It seems like a lot of the time, yeah. but they're also just like very good scorers who can just create for themselves. And they really don't need guys to help them get like lots of shots. So they get their transition stuff. And then in the half court, all of those guys can, can create shots. I mean, Eric Bledsoe creates, tons of drives to the rim he's a fantastic finisher for a point guard like his cleaning the glass page is like you know for a guy who engenders obviously i think justifiable frustration um it's actually pretty remarkable how like good his like sort of decision when you dig into the numbers um you know he is and uh obviously he's been making some threes of late as well not that he's like been good from three-point line this season but um you know he's been a really efficient scorer and he's great at getting the rim you know just just watch and think back to like the brandon jennings era like <laughs> brandon jennings cannot get to the basket to get himself a layup like he's quick but you can't you don't it's not just quickness like you have to be strong you have yeah. to be able to finish through contact and eric bledsoe is you know first off way more explosive than brandon jennings and he's hell of a lot stronger and 
Um, again, like he's an elite finisher for uh, a point guard, let alone elite for uh, you know a guy who's six one and a half. I thought Basketball Reference had an interesting tweet where um, they showed like the best shot blocking seasons for guys six two or smaller, and Bledsoe is first. Uh, on that list has the most blocks ever in a season by a guy six two or shorter and he's got like through his name is like shows up three or four times on the top 15 including this season i think he's got like 39 blocks so um i mean and he's also like a guy who i mean he blocks shots sometimes spectacular <laughs> yeah you know he's a guy who makes plays out of his area um a lot of times so um so anyway, yeah it's it's an interesting situation but you know and again i don't think the bucks should by any means be committed to Eric Bledsoe, or for that matter, even Chris Middleton necessarily. Yep. But, um, you know, those guys, maybe they're not always great defensively, but there is a version of the world where Eric Bledsoe is certainly a plus defender. There is a version of the world where Chris Middleton can be a plus defender. And I think especially when you talk about, you know, who are your other options – it's it's not going to be easy to upgrade your point guard position over Eric Bledsoe. Like you can find a better shooter, but it's probably going to be a lot worse at a lot of other things. And you know, again, like Kemba Walker isn't just going to be like you know, offer up like a poo poo platter to get Kemba Walker. You know, like and Kemba is not a you know flawless player either defensively for sure. I'm sure you know. I can only imagine how quickly it would take for people to complain about Kemba taking Giannis shots if he was in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think you just think about like, well, w- how do those guys fit into this equation versus how does Jabari fit? And again, I mean, Jabari I think is a terrific six man, a terrific complimentary scorer. But like, of all these guys, is he really like a guy that you know is you're going to like shoehorn into that starting five. Um, it's hard. There are only so many shots to go around and you know, the bucks score tons of points right now. Do the bucks really need offense? If the bucks were like 22nd in offensive rating or something like that, then I think there's a much more compelling argument for man. You need more explosive scoring on the court. Yep. You need defense. You know, you need guys who can help sort of shore up the defense. I think a lot of this obviously goes down to coaching as well. Um, you can only imagine what this offense might do if there was some more coherency to it. Um, you know, it just seems like they're sort of freelancing their way to a near elite offense and defensively, obviously not nearly such a good story. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's a frustrating situation for Jabari Parker. And unfortunately I think it's frustrating because his future and his role here is just extremely unclear. Yeah. I mean, I think for him, it's really tough because not only is he dealing with coming back from an injury? He's dealing with a scenario where he's moved from the number one guy in the franchise, right? Like when he got drafted, he was the guy that was going to be Jabari Parker's team. He was, it was going to be about him. And then he got moved down to number two after his first ACL, and Giannis came on. And then. While he went out a second time, Chris Middleton kind of became who Chris Middleton is, and then the Bucks added Eric Bledsoe, so he's moved from first to second, now to third to to fourth, and I mean that's a difficult scenario to deal with, like just moving in the packing order from the top down to the fourth spot, like that's 
I think that's really difficult to deal with. And then on top of that, you didn't agree to a contract extension. So you don't have guaranteed money. And then on top of on top of on top of that, you're playing for your next contract, right? And if you are really trying to get max money, and again, who knows if that's what Jabari's after. Uh, obviously, the report from Gary Wolfel this fall had said that is what he is after, um, but we don't really know if that's the case. So it, if that is what you're after, it would it would help you to play more than 25 minutes a night. Like it, that would it's going to be difficult to kind of showcase yourself to other teams that are thinking about offering a max deal if you're not getting that much playing time. So how do you try to get a bigger role? How do you try to get a bigger contract? Like all of those things uh, really, I think, affect Jabari in a way that they might not affect some of those other guys. Like Eric Bledsoe is locked into his contract for next year. So is Chris Middleton. Giannis is obviously 100% sure that he's the star and he's got a super max coming his way. So all those guys are, are sure of the money that they have and they're going to have. They are sure of the roles that they have. Uh, they're sure of kind of everything. And Jabari's just in this massive area of flux like just in his life at this moment there's just a lot of stuff up in the air and i think all of that combined leads to a situation that i totally understand him not being happy with and if we've watched his body language for the last month i think it's pretty clear that he hasn't been uh particularly happy with what his role is so um i i don't know if it's uh I don't know if it's a huge story or anything like that, because like you said, the offense is fine and where Jabari helps you out most is the offense. And I don't know how much more he can bring you there. Um, it's, just, it's just a matter of the Bucks playing better defense and maybe it's not possible for them to play defense as long as his scheme is in. I, I, that very well could be possible, but they have to improve defensively and who knows if that really will, will ever happen. So um, I, I can get the frustration from Jabari, but ultimately, as with just about everything, I get it but I don't know if it's changing. The offensive scheme, I get it's not good, but I don't know if it's changing. The defensive scheme, I get it's not good, but I don't know if it's changing. Like, Jerry Parker's role, I get it, but I don't know if it's changing. Like, that, that's just kind of the story of this Bucks team right now. Yeah, and I mean, you alluded to the expectations. I mean, I mean, the irony of the Bucks sort of, you know, best players is... Giannis was a 15th overall pick. No, you know, he came literally out of nowhere to become what he is, right? Um, there was not the expectation when he was drafted that he was going to become what he is, right? There, yeah. Maybe there was the, the hope that maybe he becomes some, you know, flash from nowhere type type guy, but um, not the expectation. Eric Bledsoe was a backup, you know, to John Wall when he was in Kentucky this one year, right? I mean, he was not a you know top five pick. He was a guy that had to mind his time for what was it three or four years before he became a starter um, and kind of had his chance. And you know even in Phoenix, like they had the one good year where they won forty eight games, didn't go to the playoffs, and then you know he's been bouncing around just trying to you know get back to playing meaningful basketball games, yeah. you know, or even being allowed to play basketball at all, as you know, given last year he was shut down. So um, so Bledsoe, you know, sort of 
his story is one of ascendancy, right? Signing yeah. whatever that $80 million contract um, with the Phoenix Suns a few years ago. And again, that was not necessarily ever something you expected Eric Bledsoe to do when he was coming out of college. And likewise, Chris Middleton. I mean, he's even more so, right? I mean, he was a second round pick. You know, yeah. he was the, the quote unquote throw in in that trade involving the two Brandons. Um, and, you know, shortly thereafter, a couple years later, he's signing a $70 million contract. And, you know, again, I mean, I know we kind of talk about like, well, does, you know, how much does Chris embrace sort of that complimentary role? Does he fall prey to sort of just trying to get his at times? Yeah, possibly. But I think, you know, Chris, I don't think Chris brings like, you know, Chris is not like sort of the, the ego, the ego guy in the way that, you know, there are definitely a lot of guys in the NBA, right? Like yep. you watch, you watch like Brad Beal and John Wall. I think Brad Beal and John Wall both think they're much better players than the other guy, than the yep. other guy. Totally you know, um, I don't think Chris Middleton sits around thinking I'm better than Giannis Adetokounmpo or I need more shots than Giannis or whatever. Um, I think Chris is confident in himself. I mean, and he's actually like really good at those unfortunately bad shots that he often settles for. Um, and, but you know, again, like I think you can create a coherent pecking order out of this with with Giannis being obviously the the main guy. Um, but the problem is obviously for a guy like Jabari, it's like how does he how does he work into this? Because maybe maybe he does maybe he can be you know a better offensive player. I think there are scenarios where he could be a better offensive player than than certainly Bledsoe and, and Middleton, but he's going to be a, certainly an inferior player defensively to those guys. And if that's the case, I mean, how much do you bend over backwards to make your team about a guy who, you know, just is not the overall all-around player that, that these other players it's are? It's pretty so tough. It's tough, yeah. Um, so I've been workshopping an analogy, Frank, um, with the Bucks' offense right now. It feels like I'm, and and this is pretty rough, so we'll see if we can get through it. It feels like I'm eating a really good meal, right? So the end result is great. Like I've ate, uh, I, I've had something that I've found to be delicious. Unfortunately, it's four different cooks all cooking very different things. So like Bledsoe, I, I currently have is a food truck burrito um, because it's probably going to be delicious. And there's probably going to be some elements of it that are like really great, but ultimately maybe I regret eating it. Like maybe there's just something that doesn't slightly go right. Maybe it runs through me very quickly. Um, there might be some regret there. So I have him as a food truck burrito. <laughs> I have Chris Middleton as it, it has to be something that's divisive. Like people either have to love it or hate it. And it probably needs to have like some, maybe some level of sophistication, but maybe not. Um, I think I've decided on muscles. Like he's Chris Middleton is muscles because some people really love them and they can be delicious, but also some people really hate them. Um, and I, I feel like it has to be divisive. And that was the best divisive dish I could think of. Um, Jabari Parker is a cheeseburger and the cheeseburger is cooked really, really well. Like whoever did it is, did a great job with it, but they've dressed it really strangely. So it's like a cheeseburger, but like someone put like barbecue sauce and thousand Island dressing together and put it on the burger. And you're like, 
uh, that doesn't make any sense. This burger would be really good if it didn't have that thing on it. Like what? What is? Or maybe maybe it's like some hummus. Like I don't, I don't know. And if it played more defense. Yeah, but that would be that would be the strange barbecue sauce Thousand Island dressing on it. Like it would be good except for except for that thing. And then with Giannis, I feel like it, this is something that has to be like undeniably good. And that's the thing I'm, I'm really struggling with. Like this has to be like the best meal of your life. So probably like a steak of some nature. Yeah. Like a, a really, a really great steak. Um, but maybe it has just like the slightest defect, which would be his jump shot. But I'm eating all of that. So I have a food truck burrito, I have mussels, I have a cheeseburger, and I have a steak, and it's all really tasty and really delicious, but it doesn't make any sense together. Like, why would you eat all those things in one meal? Um, so that's, I, that's just something I'm working on. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, um, any food suggestions that any of those people would be, but I'm, that, that's an analogy I'm workshopping and I wanted to share with the world. Yeah, at first I thought you were going to go with the direction of like more of like a coherent meal, you know, like. Oh, no, but it's not. It can't be coherent. No, 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 no. But like you start with something like like the Warriors could be Thanksgiving dinner, right? Like turkey, mashed potatoes, you know, whatever your your favorite uh, favorite things are. Right. Um, The Bucks are like sort of the bizarro, (laughs) not quite making sense version of that, right? Because Um, with with them, there's complementary things, right? Like things work off of each other. But with the Brewers, or excuse me, with the Bucks, it's just four entrees. Like just throw them on the plate and see what happens. And they might again, they might be individually delicious, but um, I don't know. They you went you went with the completely not complementary at all. Uh, which, you know, maybe, maybe is a little bit harsh. Um, we'll see, uh, you know, the, the, uh, who is the coach in this example? The chef, I guess. Uh, we'll see. see I I have some other stuff to work out. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the chef can, can bring in a good wine pairing or something like that to try to make (laughs) this work a little bit better. But, uh, you know, right now, yeah, it's, uh, it all, it all, works at times but it works at times you know seemingly in spite of itself which is um which is strange and by the way but i thought of this again um you know we're talking about the nick friedel complaints about stuff and the bucks just not having enough talent or whatever i think we've talked about this before but the thing that i always come back to with the bucks don't have enough talent is if the bucks don't have enough talent why are they seventh in offensive rating and nineteenth in defensive rating? Yeah, is it they don't? You're saying they're not because because to me, if you're saying they're not talented enough, and again, it's all subjective, right? Like if if the argument is like, oh, Giannis is great, you should have a sixty win team. It's like, well, okay, yeah, they don't have sixty win talent. But if the argument is like they're a forty two win team, or I don't even know what the argument is, right? Yeah. Um, then. Well, it's not an offensive problem. They have an offense to support being a 50-win team. They just don't have the defense to support that. So they're just so fundamentally not talented defensively. Come on. Yeah. Like nobody – like that just doesn't st- – that just doesn't pass the smell test. So, again, are the Bucks like incredible? No, they're not incredible. They don't fit together perfectly. But are they talented enough to yeah. work in spite of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, anyway, anybody who feels – that the Bucks should just be what they are. Um, yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> yeah, watching this team this entire season, I don't think there's any way that you can convince me that they don't have enough talent to be with some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. I, I, I you just, I just don't think you could convince me of it. Like, it I mean, they they have a very good chance of just like stumbling 
ass backwards into like 44 or 45 wins, you know? Yeah. Um, which is not phenomenal, but it's like for a like wildly disappointing team, like, I mean, I'd, what what was the over under like 47 or something like yeah. I mean, It's like they're not going to be far off that despite kid, despite all this stuff, despite all the hand wringing or whatever. Did you um, see the poll that I ran on Friday? I don't know if you saw it at all, um, but I ran a poll and I shouldn't have done it Friday because it was like news dump time. Um, but I said, knowing only what I know now, fill in the blank, I believe there is a blank percent chance the Bucks win 50 plus games next season. Oh, and, yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. And like as I think through it, and again, I'm a never trust the Buxer, and I, I've obviously watched this team the entire season. But man, there's a lot of stuff that went wrong for this Bucks team this year. Like they had, I, I would say bad injury luck. I don't know if I want to say terrible injury luck, but bad for sure. Like losing Malcolm Brogdon for a long stretch of time, losing Delhi for a long stretch of time. Uh, Losing, not having Jabari Parker for a long stretch of time, losing Mirza Toledovic, period. Like, they got hit pretty hard by injuries. So they had bad injury luck, and they were among the five worst scheme teams in the league, offensively and defensively. I don't think that's probably a stretch to say. And by the end of this season, they're going to come out in, I mean, they have a chance to win 46 games. Um, so maybe they can win 44, 45, somewhere in there. Like, I think I don't want to say that it's likely, but it kind of goes back to what you're just saying. Like they have more than enough talent. Like it's just not put together very well. So we'll kind of see what happens there. Um, but as I was thinking about that idea and I put that poll together, like I was, and 51% of you have a think there's a 40% chance or better, and 49% of you think it's less than 40% chance. So kind of split down the middle is optimistic and pessimistic, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. All right. Uh, Bucks Celtics tonight, uh, the Celtics, as you've noted on Twitter now, a couple times, they are not dead. Um, they, they've lost Kyrie Irving. I understand that. Uh, but they've rattled off six straight and I mean, they've, They've beat some teams. Uh, their last win was against Toronto, and they beat Toronto by 11. Toronto is the best team in the Eastern Conference, one of the best teams in the league, and the Celtics handled them without Kyrie Irving. So I, I can understand kind of pushing away some of the other wins that they've had. Uh, I know they had a win against Sacramento and a win against Phoenix, but the other games that happened in that win streak – they beat Utah 97-94. They beat Portland 105-100. And they beat Oklahoma City 199. So that's four playoff teams. And not just like just barely playoff teams, like playoff teams. And then two crummy teams to win six straight. That seems significant, right? Like This team isn't dead. No, and again, like this is the value of having, you know, elite coaching and, you know, a coherent identity about a team, what a team is trying to do, and and especially a team that is built on defense, right? Because, you know, if this was a team that was just built on outscoring you while you lose your most explosive offensive player, then a lot of that kind of goes out the window. But, you know, for the for the Celtics, obviously their offense is not, you know, has not been great really all season. So losing Kyrie, you lose a lot. Um, but they've been getting I mean, big contributions from Terry Rozier. Um, they've been getting, you know, 
legit NBA minutes from Shane Larkin of all people. Um, and and again, they play guys that you know if they were playing, if Abdul Nader was playing for the Bucks, if Whew. Shane Larkin was you know the Bucks' primary backup point guard, if like Shane I'm, Larkin was Brandon Jennings, he would look a lot like Brandon Jennings. <laughs> I mean. I think you'd have a lot of I don't I think you'd have probably a lot of people in Milwaukee complaining about these guys. Why are we playing these guys in Boston? I mean, again, not that these guys are like phenomenal, but they're they're good enough, and the yep. you know these units work well enough, and you know they've got Jalen Brown back now. Tatum's had a number of really good games. I think that's you know part of the upside of Kyrie being out is you get Tatum to be able to stretch his wings a little bit, um, and obviously Al Horford is is really good. Um, so again, like all this stuff works. I think Marcus Morris has been playing better of late as well. And, you know, not just missing Kyrie, but also missing Marcus Smart. So you miss, you know, your best, obviously score. And then, you know, your best sort of, you know, certainly your best defensive guard. Um, you're missing both those guys. So the fact that they just keep, you know, that they have a six game winning streak, which the Bucks haven't had all season, including against some really difficult teams. I mean, I think that just says a lot about what that team's about and, you know, why, again i'll i'll take you know all things being i'll take the celtics in a first round series over some other teams but or like the raptors or Cavs. but i'm not i wouldn't bet on the bucks in that series right nope. <laughs> right i mean um i i hope they can figure stuff out um i think this is a great opportunity to bounce back after a horrible loss um you know from an emotional standpoint in denver um but it's also not by any means a game that you know you should expect is going to be an easy one. Um, but again, I think the Bucks. I mean, they are a more talented team than Boston right now. Yes, and they are. Again, it's just like, can you go out and can you bring a coherence and a consistency to actually put that to put that to use and, and actually take it to a team? And again, I mean, the Bucks obviously they won that first game in Boston. Um, they were competitive in the the Mecca game in Milwaukee and. You know, we're competitive, just could never really close the gap, get over the hump in that game in Boston where Giannis had the 40-point night. Um, so, again, I mean, uh, they have a chance every night, I think, even if Kyrie is playing. Um, but, again, you have to – you got to play like the favorite tomorrow. And I think uh, if you can beat Boston, I think that really gets you back on track in a nice way, especially after that really difficult loss in, in Denver. Yeah, I mean, that would – Again, we're talking about projected, unprojected wins. That would be an unprojected win if you get yep. the against the Celtics. And again, maybe that projection changes with injuries and stuff like that. But projection models don't really factor that in. So, you if you can get this Celtics win, well, then you you set yourself up pretty nicely with the chance to get. I mean, that's probably four in a row: Brooklyn at New York, and then uh, against the Orlando Magic. Like those are all games that are very winnable. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Bucks can handle their business tomorrow night and kind of see what team shows up. So we'll see what happens there. And we will talk to you after that game. For Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you after the game.